Morning Church Project. How's everyone doing? We're glad that you're here today. If you don't have a Bible, if you would grab one um, from one of the lamps on the side, or, or there's one in the middle row. Uh, I'm Aaron. I'm a pastor here at, at Church Project, and just like this little video we watched, if you're a first-time guest here, we're going through the book of James. And if you've been coming for a little while, uh, you probably have been wondering if we're ever going to get out of the, the second chapter of James. Well, Last week, Dave Shelley did an incredible job, if you were here, of walking us out of chapter 2. And so we're going to pick up our study of James in James chapter 3 today. So if you would turn your Bible to there, if you have one of those blue Bibles, you can turn it to page 699 and, and we'll begin the study of James chapter 3. Um, I, I do want to pray for us right now before we begin. Um, pray that our mind would be sharp and our heart would be soft for the Word of God today. So let me pray for us. God, I pray that um, whatever our week has looked like, the ups and downs, the exciting times, the hard times, the times where even this past week we didn't know how we were going to make it through it, but the times of just complete joy where we sat with you and locked eyes with you, all those times, God, I pray that they lead us to this point this morning where we can stand and we can look you in the eyes and say, you are our king. We pray that the words that are spoken this morning give you much glory. And I pray for all of us that when we leave this room today, we can all say we've seen the face of our King, Jesus Christ. Please speak to us. We, we ask for our minds to be sharp and our heart to be open. We ask you to move in this place. We invite your Holy Spirit to guide us and teach us in this place. Thank you for who you are. In your name we pray. Amen. James chapter 3. I am actually going to cover 12 verses, and I've had a few people say, yeah, whatever, you're not going to cover 12 verses. Well, I'm going to attempt to cover 12 verses today. So let's start just by reading, okay? So James chapter 3, verse 1 says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Pause. <laughs> There's more verses I know, but we're going to pause. The setup to this. What's happened up to this point? Well, who's James writing and, and what, what's the context of this? And so the context of James is that he's writing to a church that's just few years after Jesus has been crucified. Jesus' half-brother James is writing this book and he's writing it to fellow Christians. And he's writing it to a church, and he's saying, hey church, this letter is for you because this gospel message has impacted us deeply. And so we call ourselves Christians, followers of the King, disciples of Jesus Christ. And this message is, has changed our life, but only years later, James is looking at the church, and he's seeing a church that's starting to get apathetic. He's seeing a church that's starting to waver. He's seeing a church that's losing a little bit of their passion and starting to bicker and do all these things. And so if you've been with us for the first two chapters of James, you know he's been hitting it pretty strong, hasn't he? And then, like this little video just talked about faith and, and works. And, and James really is standing and he's saying, hey, the thing that you say that you believe, is it playing out in your everyday life? Uh, the book of James is, is kind of referred to by some people as the Proverbs of the New Testament. In essence, it's the way to live godly lives. And James is challenging us every single step of the way. So when we get into James chapter 3, this first verse that I just read, um, you know, for me, this is an unsettling verse. 
Because it starts out, and I feel like we've been having this great flow, and then all of a sudden James throws this one verse in that makes me super uncomfortable. And so I want to read it one more time, because just picture the way that I would read this verse, okay? Me, Aaron Havens. James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Oh my gosh. You know, when I stand up here, I stand up here humble, honored that God has somehow in my life gotten me to the point where I'm not worthy of standing up here and teaching, but he's given me the mantle to teach. And so when I come across a verse like this, it's one of those things that rocks me back. And may it never be my words May it be God teaching through me this morning. He opens and he says, many of you, not many of you. This New Testament setting of this church is the worship service of the early church was dynamic. And it was unstructured. And we can read about in 1 Corinthians, even the first part of Corinthians, where, where they're writing and Paul is teaching and he's saying, you know what, church, you know what, we should probably bring this thing together so it's a little more organized. There's chaos going everywhere. But the church, large groups of people wanted to speak at this time. And James is writing the church and he's saying, not many of us should become teachers, my fellow brothers, because you know those who teach, those that stand up and open the Bible and use our words to teach, we're going to be judged more strictly than anyone else. So one of my spiritual gifts is teaching. And it is a high calling to oversee his church and to open up the word of God to teach his to teach his word is a heavy heavy deal. Do you pray for me by the way? Do you, do you pray for me even while I'm speaking on Sunday mornings that it wouldn't be my words, but it'd be the words of God coming through and, and equipping us and teaching us? Do you? I ask you, please pray for me. I, and Church Project, we don't give up this mic easily. We don't have just whoever come and, and stand here and teach. Why? Well, look at verse 1. Like the people that come here, man, we, we've got to hold God's word just so close to God's word. I've been a part of churches, and maybe you've been a part of a church as well in your past. And we say it often, but in the cards in the back, we have a saying that says we want to change the way people see Christ, Christians, in church. Well, why do we even have that saying on there? Part of the reason we have that saying on there is because some of us have been kicked from the stage. A saying that I like is this, is don't kick God's sheep. Don't kick God's sheep. How many of you have ever sat where a preacher or someone from the pulpit was basically kicking the sheep and just aggressively going after and almost, de- and, and in some instances, derailing from the Word of God and they have their own agenda and they begin to kick the sheep and beat the sheep up? And my prayer is that this, especially when we teach hard things, and James has some hard things, is that I would never get up here and kick the sheep, that I would love the sheep. But I would speak the word of God's and the word of God in a powerful, powerful way. So when we talk about teaching, when we talk about standing up here and teaching, James is saying, "Not many of you should want to do this because you're going to be held more strictly." God's word is powerful. When we open up the word of God, it is powerful. I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter four. 
in verses 12 through 13. Are you familiar with this? Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. If you have your Bibles, open it up to that. I didn't write down the page number, so sorry. It's towards the back of the Bible. Hebrews chapter 4, 12 through 13. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The word of God is powerful. Do you believe that? Do you hold on to that? Do you cling to that? And as I teach and as I, as I preach, I, I, I pray that you're praying for me, that, that I will hold on to the word of God. Because it is a powerful weapon. But we have words, don't we? And the way that we use our words, how are we using them? I think of Proverbs chapter 12, 18 says this, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. May I never kick the sheep. May I never use words that are just going to pierce. But may I speak the word of God in a loving way, and may we as a church just stand. And say the word of God is sharp. It's, 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 it divide, it's like a double-edged sword and it divides and it pierces and it teaches truth. And may we never stand up and recklessly teach the word of God. Because what are we doing? We're piercing. And we're not loving at that point. What is the most powerful part of the sword? This is heavy, by the way. Jeremy's getting a little scared. What's the most powerful part of this sword? Is it the, the tip? These are actually very sharp. I'm, I'm surprised. <laughs> very heavy. Is it, is it this thing? I don't know what this is, but it looks cool. <laughs> Might I? I came from a conference last week where my good friend, Pastor Darren Glaycorn, actually spoke on how to make a shield. This is his son's sword. Not, not a shield, but a sword. And, and he went through all the parts of how to... How to how to craft this thing and put it together. Might I propose that the most important part of the shield is the handle? Of the shield, I keep calling this a shield. <laughs> of the sword. The most important part of the sword is the handle. Because a sword in the hand of a mighty warrior is worth something. I'm going to repeat that again. A sword in the hand of a mighty warrior is worth something. For me to go into battle with this would be a joke. I can barely lift it. <laughs> but a mighty warrior, warrior to go into battle with the sword is worth something. Suppose that the most important part of the sword is actually the handle. I am not the warrior. Church, I am the sword. 
I am not the warrior. I am the sword. May my life be put in the hands of Jesus Christ, the mighty warrior. May he mold me with his fingerprints. And may God wield the sword of my life. This men's retreat that I went to last week, uh, Pastor Darren spoke. Thanks for letting me get away. It was great. I loved being up there. Dave Shelley did a great job speaking. Pastor Darren spoke, and I got to tell you, God um, slapped me in a couple of different ways. You've had those moments where you go in thinking something, and then God shows you something completely different and just breaks you. And, and that was one of those, those moments for me last weekend. And the hardest part for me last weekend was going up there, and, and, and I'm always leading, by the way. So going up and not giving a message or having a leadership role was different for me. And I asked a couple of the guys that went with me, what, you know, what's, what's your reservation and anticipation of, of this weekend? And, and mine was twofold. One, I'm always leading, and so I'm a little nervous that I'm going to, I don't know, not know how to act because I'm not leading or teaching or preaching. And the other one, and my anticipation was, I'm excited to see what God shows me because I'm not leading and, and anticipate, you know, have any kind of role. And so I'm up there, and I'm not giving a message, and, and I oftentimes, even going into last weekend, I slip into thinking I'm greater than I am. You? Slip into thinking I'm greater than, I'm in, than I am, thinking God needs me more than he actually does. I let my experience, my education, my passion drive me and God's saying, you are only powerful because you are in my hand. But we, we like to say, man, we're mighty warriors, and we're, we're going to go kick some tail for, for God, and we're going to tell the world this mighty evangel, you know, evangelistic message, and we're going to save some souls, and we're going to push back the gates of hell and all this stuff. And, and I, I love that. I'm like, oh, let's go do this. But might I propose that God says this. He says, you are only powerful because you are in my hand. Church, how do you see yourself today? The handle is God grabs you and forms you and puts his fingerprints on you and molds you to be more like him. Then you're powerful because you're in the hand of Jesus Christ. That's a word from God. Ambitious warriors ready to charge hell. Here's my prayer. Oh God, make us more like you. We lay down our lives. God, pick us up. Put your imprint deep into our lives. God, I pray that your fingerprints are known in our lives. Mold us to the shape of your hand. God, I pray that you make us more like you. Don't hurt yourself. So church, I apologize for the times that I stand up here and I think I'm more than I am. And I try to do it on my own. 
May all of our lives, wherever we go, whether it be teaching from the stage, or like my wife, teaching first graders in a school room setting, may we realize that we're only powerful when Jesus is gripping us and he's wielding us. May we find our identity in him. Um, back in back in January, you know, I'm gonna, I want to talk church project for a little bit. Um, January marked a year where we had elders at church project, men that were coming along and plur, pluralist pluralism of, of leadership and and guiding us and directing us and 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 we did that all last year and we came into January and we began to have conversations just a few months earlier about the body of Christ and how we move and how we interact and how we serve and how we love. And we began using two words that if you've been coming for a while, maybe, maybe you, 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 they'll, they'll mean something to you. But if not, here's, here's what they are. One is conviction. I pray that as a church and as a body that, that my role may be to get up and speak. And I pray that God uses me in a powerful way. But I pray that I'm only teaching because I'm convicted, like God has convicted me to do this. It's not something that I want to do because I think, hey, this might be cool. Let me try that. But I'm praying that for our body, our church body. Every single one of us, God has gifted us in powerful, powerful ways. Wasn't worship incredible this morning? Isn't it incredible every single morning? And I praise God that they're, they're up in powerful ways, men and women leading us with their musical talents. And we all have talents and spiritual abilities. And, and so we began talking and saying, church, what is God convicting you to, be, to do as part of his body? As part of church project, what is God convicting you in an awesome way? Not, not like, a, oh, dang it, I need to go serve. But in an awesome way, like you've just got to do this thing. So we're praying conviction over everyone at Church Project. We're praying conviction even over the elders that got us to January, that we would be convicted. And then we, we would look at our lives and, and we would say also this con- conviction needs to match our capacity. That we actually are in a point in life where we are capable and we have the time and the energy to, to continue to lead. And, and I pray that for every single one of us, that our conviction, got the thing that God is bubbling up in us, for some of us, it may be sex, trade, or whatever. I mean, God can, can convict us of so many things. We're like, we've got to do and we've got to be part of the body in this way. And then we begin to make capacity in our life. When we have conviction and we have capacity, it equals our calling. And we come alive in these things because I've been part of churches in the past and, I, and I've probably done it as well and I apologize and I ask your forgiveness of this where we get kicked and, and, the, and the pastors kick the sheep and begin to just guilt us into serving. Oh no, I guess I'll go serve. And, and, and then all of a sudden we're serving out of guilt and not out of conviction and capacity and, and love of Christ and moving together as his church. And so our prayer is that every single person at church project, God would bring a holy conviction, a holy wrong to us. We've got to be part of his body. We've got to serve. We've got to do it. And we would have the capacity to do so. And as, as our elders began to pray and really examine, we began to examine our lives. And if you remember, towards the end of January, we stood up and said, even the elders, we're all stepping back. And we desire to be a church that's led in a plurality of leadership. It's not just Aaron Havens at the top calling all the shots. That would be, that'd be bad. But we have plural, 
multiple leaders that are leading this church, and we all stepped back and, and we began to pray that God would convict and bring a conviction in our heart to be leaders of the church or to put us in the places that he's called us to be in, just like everyone in the entire body. And so we've been praying and we've been doing that. And I've taken a rare form of leadership the last few months, and that's more praying than anything. I'm praying that God would bring and convict his church to come up and be part of the church, to serve in loving ways. If you would, open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read seven verses today. First Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 7. And keep in the back of your mind conviction and capacity. Keep in the back of your mind eldership, leadership, oversight of church project as we read these verses. First Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family... How can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Wow! What a high bar for overseers. And, and the point that, that, that is being made in this passage is that no one is going to be able to do this. And it's by God's grace that he lifts and, and puts people into leadership roles and moves people into leadership roles. And we serve him, not as, the sword, not as thinking that we're the warrior, but we serve them as the sword. And we say, God, please grip the handle of my life and wield me however you see best. May my life reflect you, and may I serve you. May I have conviction and capacity. May I move as part of your body, which in this context may actually look like part of church project and serving as part of church project. So for the last few months, we've really been praying, and, and um, we've, it's been fun to watch men and women move into just different leadership roles, not, not because they have been guilted into it, but moved into it because God has drawn this, 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 this conviction, this desire to do so. Moments of deep prayer. Conversation of what it may look like. Because when we move in freedom, we're alive. And when we moved because we're chained and we feel guilted, then it's only a matter of time until we burn out. Church, I'm excited right now because um, one of the, the families that God really has been convicting and, and moving up into the leadership realm is Jonathan and Rochelle Cairns. And I'm going to ask if, they, if you guys, if you would come up here, please. I asked Rochelle to have a five-minute speech ready. Did you, did you tell her that, Jonathan? 
If you know him, you love him. And as I, as I read through the qualifications of 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 7, Jonathan and I have been praying, and Rochelle and Lauren and I have been praying for um, a while now, and it's been neat to see that God has been convicting and drawing them up to the point where, church, I want to I present Jonathan as the elder of Church Project and in a leadership role. Um, I'm excited to announce that he's going to be moving t- together with us, and I know that you're just as nervous as I am, Jonathan, because it's a heavy deal. And Rochelle, thank you. It's a heavy deal to lead his sheep, to oversee it. And three verses that, that I have really been highlighting during this time is this. Ephesians 4.12. You've heard me say this a lot. It says this. It's kind of a job title of an elder. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. One of the roles of the elder and of a pastor is to equip the church for service so that his body may be lifted up. Hope we can do that. <laughs> Hebrews 10, 24 is another one. And let us consider how we may spur each other on to love and good deeds. Like as Christians, as followers of Christ, as brothers and sisters, we should be looking at each other and considering how to spur each other on to love and good deeds. And then the last one is I pray over church project continually and I pray over all of our lives is this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 7. And this is Paul. He's teaching. Tell me if he sounds like a handle or a sword. You know, God's grabbing it. Tell me if Paul sounds like a handle. He says this, Paul, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Amen. As God continues to grow this church, and I mean even numerically, he's growing the church. Today, snow and rain. It's a little low. Who cares? (laughs) But as he continues to grow this church, even numerically, the thing I'm loving to see more than anything is the way that he's growing this church spiritually. The way that he's bringing men and women into leadership roles with conviction that's like we are going to march forward and push back the gates of hell. And so, church, I would love if a few of the men would come up here and and if we can just pray over Jonathan and Rochelle as we march forward just in an eldership role. So if you want to come up and and pray, that would be great. I'm going to turn off our mics. And, guys, if you would just pray a blessing over uh, Jonathan and Rochelle, that would be great. Church, if you would just join us. And if you're a first-time guest, welcome to the family meeting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Chad wants to knight him. No, we're not going to do that. I, um, dang it, we're not going to get to all these verses, are we? Shoot. Guess we're gonna have to push the rest of the message off here. Okay, give me a second. I didn't. I didn't think about skipping all of that, so we'll we'll skip that. Um, uh, this is more a casual conversation than I thought. So uh, I tell you, one of the things that I've really enjoyed, um, especially this year for t- for 2016, is that we're marching f- um, from freedom and not for freedom. 
That's a good word, by the way. I'm a child of a king. Chains are broken. We operate from that place of freedom. We don't have to prove to God that we need to be free. He says, I've already set you free. Same thing happens in the body of Christ when we serve from a place of freedom. So God convicts us, he gifts us, he equips us, and he calls us to move together as his body. So 2016 has already been an incredible year. The fact that we started with our elders, took a step back, began praying for conviction and capacity, all of us, has set the pace for every single one of us in this place to do the same. So whether it's a first grade class or an elder a church project or wherever we go, we operate from a place of freedom and we reflect God every way that we go as he wields us and we're in his hand. I'm going to skip down to the very end. Yeah, we're not going to hit the rest of this. Sorry. But I, I, I think what is powerful, um, you can read through the, the rest of these verses 2 through 12 and it talks a lot about the tongue how we speak, the words that we use, our actions. And so I would encourage you to read through that and house churches even go through that you know, um, this week. But I just want to throw out a couple verses, and, and I don't know, part, part of these verses may find its way into next week's message. Um, wasn't planning on that, so hey, we'll go with it. But I do want to throw out a couple verses that I think are pretty powerful when it talks about our tongue. And the fact that, you know, even as pastors, sometimes we kick the sheep. And as, 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 as brothers and sisters, sometimes we just let our tongue lash out against people, the body. And sometimes we even speak existence into our own lives with the way that we use our tongue. And so I just want to throw some verses out. And we'll probably pick up on these next week. But here's some verses. And I'm just going to go through them fast. So if you have a, a pen or a pencil or a phone, you can type the references in. Um, or you can listen to the podcast and, and find them as well. But I'm just going gonna, gonna to go through some verses that, that I found real encouraging as I was studying the tongue and the power of the tongue this week. So, and by the way, I'm very convicted about this. My daughter even pointed out some of my errors yesterday. So we're all in this. We're a project moving together. So here's some verses. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Proverbs 12, verses 13 through 14. An evil man is ensnared by the transgressions of his lips, but the righteous escapes from trouble. From the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good, and the work of a man's hand comes back to him. Proverbs 13, 3. Those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. Proverbs 15.4, the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs 18.21, the tongue has power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And then I want to give two more verses. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And the last verse I want to end on is this, Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, 
that he will also reap. Let me read that one one more time. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Church, here's two questions to close up today. What are you sowing with your life, words and actions? And the second one is, are you a sword in the handle of the king? I'm going to ask us, if we would, just to close our our Bibles, close our notes, and really kind of reflect on this. I don't know what God could be showing you, teaching you, directing you today. I'm not sure. But I, I do know this. That in the hand of a king, you are powerful. Because the king is wielding you. His fingerprints are all over you. The grip of the sword matches your hand perfectly as he swings. As he places us in first grade classes and places us all about in the community. May we submit control of our life to God. God, I pray in this place that your Holy Spirit will be moving in a powerful way. That whatever comes of the, of the ramblings of the message this morning, that something that was spoken would drive deep into our soul. Maybe for some of us, like myself, God, we've taken ourselves way too serious. And we just thought, you need us just that much, God. I pray in, in this place, we would surrender control of our lives to you. Say, God, may, may we serve you, and it's a great honor to serve you. But may we never think that we're the warrior. May we be willing to be a sword in your hand. God, forgive us in those moments, even last week and and the week that we're coming up on, where we lose that perspective and we begin to just push our way through that circumstance because we're just that talented or that powerful. I pray in this room that you break all of our pride. I pray that we would find our identity in you. And from that identity, we would desire to have a life that looks more like you every day. And that God, even as the verses we skipped over, that even our tongue, our words, would begin to reflect you more and more every day, that we would speak more like you, that we would look more like you, that our actions would be more in line with your actions, that God, our handle, the sword, the handle would look more like you and you would grip deeply and make us to be uniquely designed to be in your hand. I pray that your fingerprint is all over our life. God, I pray against 
any attacks of Satan this week in our church that when Satan comes and tries to deceive us, that we wouldn't just put our nose down and grind through God, but we would humbly submit to you and we would seek your wisdom and your advice and we would love the way that you do. We would serve the way that you do. And God, I pray by the end of this week, we would begin to see even fruits in our own lives, fruits in the relationships around us, fruits in our workplaces that look more like you, that we would respond differently this week, that we'd be mindful of you and our actions would be found in you. God, I pray wherever we go and whatever we sow this week, it would be sown out of an identity of freedom that's found in you. I thank you for bringing us here together. And I pray that you continue to move and teach, love and rebuke, encourage every single one of us in this place. Thank you.